In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, before we get to the real business at hand, just a gentle reminder, no mention of scores um, before, during, or I guess now after the service. Um, But glad that you are here, and not just because you're not watching the Super Bowl somewhere, but uh, because I think tonight's readings really have a lot to offer us and give us an opportunity to reflect on something quite important um, to our province as well as um, to where things are at in our culture these days. But I want to continue on uh, from last week's gospel reading, um, which was where Jesus went into um, his hometown synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And we talked a little bit last week about that reading and how he uh, read some of the text and omitted some of the text and then declared that the text, that that reading had been fulfilled in their hearing. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am the fulfillment of these words. And so as he, as he read this, as both he who is reading Isaiah the prophet, but then prophetically saying that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy, right? I mentioned the word was the fulfillment of those words. Um, and so we pick up today from the end of that, of that moment um, where we get to pick up the story and kind of see what happened in light of these words of Jesus. So again, last week we learned that after his temptation, that's the way Luke records things, Jesus went out to be tempted uh, in the wilderness for 40 days, and then he comes in, and the first thing he does is go to his hometown, go into uh, the synagogue on the Sabbath, read that text from Isaiah, declare it's been fulfilled, right? So after his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, we're told, And he went into the synagogue of Nazareth, his hometown, on the Sabbath, and that was his practice. Uh, It's amazing how often the gospel writers like to tell us where Jesus is going from and to, and also what day of the week it is. Um, And Luke does that as well. Mark is well known for that. Then, of course, Jesus read from that Isaiah passage. And though initially this led the people to speak well of him, this week's gospel tells us, Um, So well, in fact, that, quote, they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So you you can't help but think, like, Jesus goes into the synagogue, picks up the scroll, reads from it, and then says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, and everyone gets a wee bit excited. Because this is Joseph's boy, right? This is the hometown hero, right? Jesus is back, and now... Jesus is reading, and he's telling us that he's the person who is going to fulfill this prophecy. So there's a sense of excitement, right? Like, well, we know what this prophecy is all about, and Jesus is going to fulfill it. That's awesome. We're finally going to experience something around here. We're excited about this. And again, just that sense that this is the hometown boy. Right now, it's been maybe 30-plus years since Jesus' birth, but surely that miraculous birth the stories of it are still floating around that hometown, right? I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say that I know anything about this show, and it, it dates me a little bit because it's, it's off the air, but um, Married with Children, which I do not commend, but I, I know in that show that Al Bundy always talked about, right, the, the football legend that he was, right? Was it, did he make a catch or did he throw a pass? I can't remember, but he harkens back, right? Peaked in high school kind of Al Bundy, right? So, so there's a sense of where that excitement about, like, Jesus is back, the, the kid that we heard stories about, um, this person we didn't fully understand, perhaps, but yet he's back, and oh my goodness, and he's going to fulfill the scripture in our hearing. But the more, Jesus, the more Jesus talked, the angrier they got, 
So at first, they're excited. This is Joseph's boy. Yay. Oh, his words are so gracious. Yay. And the more Jesus talked, the people said, no, we don't like this, in fact. Right? Luke tells us that the more Jesus talked, the more wrathful they became. Right? So much so that they said, hey, Jesus, after the service, we have coffee hour up on the hillside. You want to come up? Why don't you come up here to the hillside with us for coffee hour so we can chuck you over the edge? We don't like what you're saying. I don't mean to make light of it, but that's, that's kind of what's happening here, right? Well, again, they seem to expect that Jesus is going to do something for them and do something perhaps that has not been done for them. And scholars, commentators are divided over exactly what these texts mean when Jesus talks about the widow uh, and Elijah as well as Naaman the Syrian and Elisha. But it seems like what the people think they're hearing is something like this. Jesus comes, the hometown boy, he says, I'm going to fulfill this prophecy. And what the people think they hear is, finally, one of our own is going to throw off this yoke that we've been carrying around our necks. Historically, that would be Assyrians and Babylonians, but at that moment, it would be the Romans. Like, finally, we're going to, something's going to happen here in Nazareth. Jesus is going to rise up, he's going to throw off these right? These Romans, and yes, we're going to be free people again. It, it seems like that is maybe what they're thinking is going to happen. But instead of doing that or saying more about that, Jesus instead gives two examples of people who were the recipients of God's favor. Perhaps a problem, though, in these examples is they're both Gentiles, right? So here's the prophet Isaiah. Here's what he says about being released from oppression, right? And then I'm going to fulfill that. Yes, finally, Jesus is here. Something's going to happen. Why is he talking about these Gentile people again? Wait a second. We, in fact, don't like what Jesus is saying. Let's throw him off the hillside. Let's kill him. Right? So this appears to rile up the congregation, these two stories about these two Gentiles, because those Gentiles had experienced Grace, the, the goodness of God at the hands of the prophets of God, Elijah and Elisha. And not just like, this is going to sound a little strange, like it's awkward that we call any of the prophets minor prophets, but I mean, right? This is Elijah and Elisha, right? These are, these are the prophets that the kids know the stories about for sure. And so these, these two great prophets are then connected to the good work that they did for two Gentiles. So the hearers of Jesus there in his hometown in the synagogue are now probably thinking like, wait, now we're going to be excluded again? Or we're going to continue to be excluded? And again, I'm not even thinking that they're understanding that Jesus is the Son of God, right, the Messiah. I think they're just excited about the fact that Jesus sounds like he's promising to do something amazing for them, but by the end of it, they don't want to follow him because he seems to be, again, pressing them or excluding them, saying that they will be excluded. So the story ends with Jesus walking through the crowd to get away from them, but, but that's the way Luke begins the public ministry of Jesus, reading from the prophet Isaiah and then talking about these two stories and then surviving what could have been a dangerous situation. And that leads us, I think, to our Old Testament lesson to think about the nature of a prophet. Because Jesus, again, is both quoting from the prophet Isaiah, but he himself is functioning as a prophet when he says, I will fulfill this in your hearing. 
whatever he's doing by bringing up the widow and Naaman, it appears that he's prophetically saying something. So we go back to Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10 that we had read tonight from the Old Testament. And we get to learn there about the nature of what it means to be a prophet. So here at chapter 1 of the book of Jeremiah, we kind of get a job description, if you will, of what it means to be a prophet. And if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah in its, in its entirety, it is not something you would probably sign up for. Several examples, he's told to run around naked for a season. His wife is actually killed to be a sign. He packs his bag one time and has to climb through a small hole in the wall. And all of these are signs. He's being prophetic when he does this. I mean, this isn't all just like, put on my nice clothes, go to the public square and declare things. This is literally prophets getting naked and getting their hands dirty, doing the work of Yahweh. So again, most of us wouldn't sign up for it. But in spite of that, and maybe because of that, Jeremiah begins the book by saying, let me talk about what the nature of being a prophet actually is. First, we're said, Before, God says, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So the first thing we learn about prophets is they're consecrated and appointed by God. Maybe not in the womb. I wouldn't overread that text to think like when you were in the womb, God had a plan for you. Then you spend your life trying to figure out that plan. And woe if you don't. Right, But no, but in Jeremiah's case, at least, from the womb, God had consecrated and appointed him. We'll come back to that, but mostly what I want us to see is the consecration and appointment part of it, right? So people will often say something like, you know, how do you, you know, Dr. Peters or Father Greg, you know, how do you do as much as you do? And partly the answer is because what's what I've been called to do, so I just do what I've been called to do. I do stuff I haven't been called to do, not because it's bad for me, but because God seems to be ambivalent. But, um, but when I'm called to do something and feel like God has called me, consecrated and appointed me to do it, then I, then I do it. Right? So we get that nature of things, right? We get the sense of when God calls, then consecrates and appoints that he sends us out in the ministry. And again, to, to announce by way of the sermon next week's ordination, you know, this is what will be happening next week and excited about the anthem next week. Christina's really excited about next week's anthem, and maybe this one too, but next week's in particular. She played it for me earlier, all about, it's called consecration, and so we know that God calls all of us and consecrates us and appoints us to the work that we've been given to do, so like prophets, we do it, but prophets in particular are consecrated and appointed. You can't just decide, I'm going to be a prophet for God. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. You can't go to prophet school unless God's called you to go to prophet school. The second thing Uh, that we learn is from verse 7. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. So it doesn't seem to matter what your real or perceived limitations are. If God has consecrated you and appointed you, you go. Right? Certainly we have to be thinking of Moses, right? What does Moses get to see? The burning bush. He has this unique experience of Yahweh himself. And Yahweh says, I'm going to send you to my people. Wow, that burning bush thing was really cool. By the way, I don't talk very well. Not a good speaker, not a good public speaker. You probably really don't want to send me. And actually, Yahweh takes it so seriously that in time he actually gives Aaron right? To like, uh, yeah, you're actually right. You're not a good speaker, so I'll send someone to help. But, but, but no matter what, whether we have real or perceived limitations, if God has called, then we go. And so prophets go in the name of God, right? They, they cannot say, I'm only a youth, or 
or something like that. No, to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Third, God is with his prophets, so they shall not fear. Verse 8, do not be afraid of them, the people that you go to, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I hate being the bearer of bad news, and I often don't have to be, except maybe when I have to deliver you know, punishment to my kids. That actually doesn't bother me all that much. But, but you know, in general, I don't like to be the bearer of bad news. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that any leadership I've ever had uh, at Biola has never meant I had to be the bearer of bad news, right? Because like, you, know, you fear people's reactions. And so here, prophets, rightly so, are going to walk into seemingly hostile environments and say, by the way, God's going to judge you. Now, sometimes they get to say things like, God's going to save you. God's going to restore you. But sometimes they have to walk into it and say, nope, you're messed up. God's going to judge you. Right? So, in other words, it, it would make sense for prophets to be fearful. But Yahweh says, do not be afraid. I will deliver you. And we see that in Jesus. He delivers Jesus from the crowd who didn't like what Jesus was saying. So God consecrates and appoints us, no matter what real or perceived limitations we have, they don't matter to God, he will equip us, and then we should not fear the work that God has given us to do, or the prophets should not fear the work God has given them to do. Fourth, God prepares and equips his prophets. Verse 9, the Lord touched my mouth, and then the Lord says, I have put my words in your mouth. Again, verse 9, it's God who gives the message. That's the whole point of being a prophet. God speaks through the prophet. So when Jesus is uttering that, that, that Isaiah reading and then uh, uttering these words about the widow and Naaman, he is doing the work that God is going to do. He is saying the words, right? The gospel reading tells us that tonight, right? They were astonished at his words, astonished at his words. And that's because God has touched his mouth. God has prepared him for what he needs to say and what he will say. And then lastly, when it comes to prophets, a prophet's work comes directly from God's authority. Verse 10, I have set you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. That's a refrain that occurs over and over again in the book of Jeremiah. That is kind of Jeremiah's prophetic tagline, if you will. But, but again, this is God's authority. I have set you over the nations and over kingdoms. Jeremiah didn't give this authority to himself. No, it comes from God by way of his consecration and appointment. And so it leads us to think about the way in which our reading from 1 Corinthians 13 um, talks about that if we were to speak, right, but have not love, then we're just making noise, right? We're just, we're just a bad drum set. Being, we're just playing a drum that we don't know how to play. And then, of course, verse 14, which would also make a really, uh, uh, sorry, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians would also make a good pairing, if I could be so bold to su suggest that tonight, goes on to talk about um, speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy in the church and how it's meant to build up the congregation. And so there is, a, there is an application here, though most of us have not been called to be prophets, though we've been called to do other things, for those who have been raised up by God to speak forth his word in the church and in the world, their job is to only do that which God has given them to do, right? They need to be consecrated and appointed by God to do it. Whatever their limitations, God will give them their message. God will prepare and equip them, and God's authority will be with their words. 
But I think there's an application here that's beyond those who might be called in particular to, to build the church up through the gift of tongues and interpretation or to speak prophetic words, and that is that as believers, we all have a voice given to us by God in one sense, and I don't want to diminish the work of prophets per se, but in one sense, we're all prophets. We're all called to this work. Right? We are all called to speak the truth in love, in the world, in our relationships, family, in our friends, in our work life, wherever it is, we are called to speak forth the truth, empowered by God to do it, yet with his authority. And this is what leads me to circle back around to that beginning of our Jeremiah passage, because it only seemed appropriate this week, in the light of what's going on in this country when it comes to the killing of the unborn, that we would have the reading that in the womb God had chosen Jeremiah. For the first time in a long time, I was a very ashamed Virginian this week. And you, for those of you that know me, I'm not usually ashamed of my home state, but this week was one of those weeks. And of course, New York has, in fact, passed the legislation. Vermont either has or is soon behind them. Virginia's was defeated, but still abortion will continue in that state. Other states have similar legislation on the books. And so as we think about the way that Jeremiah was formed in the wound and before, you know, he, his parents even knew him, God had chosen him. And that should lead us to think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was also sanctified in the womb. Jerome from the 4th century said he received the Holy Spirit, stirred in the womb, and spoke through the mouth of his mother. My parents probably celebrated when I put a sentence together as like a three-year-old. And here was John the Baptist speaking through the mouth of his mother in the womb. So not only is Jeremiah chosen while he's in the womb, John the Baptist evidences his chosenness by God in the womb by speaking through his mother. Then in Galatians 1, 15 and 16, Paul says, But when he who set me apart before I was born was pleased to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. In hindsight, the Apostle Paul is able to look back and say, Though I persecuted the Jews, though I killed them in the name of what I thought was truth, now when I look back, I can see that even before I was born, God had chosen me to go preach to the Gentiles. So we might not all have been set apart in this, that way from birth, though that, or from in the womb, but nonetheless, this is evidence that those are human beings. Children are human beings. They deserve the opportunity to live their life. And this is what our province stands on. And that's what this church stands on. We are pro-life from conception to death. And we are that because the scriptures tell us we have to be. And this week, our archbishop issued a release in response to New York, and I hung it on the bulletin board in the back. If you have not seen it, I will try to remember to put it on the Facebook page, but if you haven't seen it, you should read it so that you know where we stand as a province and where we stand as a parish. There is grace for those who have made decisions that they regret. There's grace for people who have not yet regretted those decisions that we made. This is not about not extending God's love and grace and mercy to those who have made decisions about the life of their unborn children. But we need to be a parish that uses our prophetic gifts of speaking the truth in love to this world. 
Archbishop Foley says this is the greatest moral issue facing us, and I really think that has to be true in light of what's happened in the past two weeks. In light of the fact that a, a man who supposedly studied science, studied medicine, so that he could be a pediatrician, to think that he could stand there or sit there and be asked, what would happen if this baby was born alive? And for him to say that the baby would be made comfortable while a discussion began between the mother and the, care and the doctor about the life of that baby, breathing outside the womb. How atrocious, how far we have fallen, how misguided this country is. So Jeremiah knew that he was called from the womb. John the Baptist knew it. Paul knew it. Maybe you live your life in light of that. You should, we should. God created us. He made us. He formed us. We are special, created in his image. But now that we have voice, now that we have opportunity to speak, we need to, like Jeremiah and all the other prophets, speak up and be loud. And you know what? People might not want to hear it. They might want to invite you up to the side of the cliff to throw you off of it, but so be it. We can no longer remain silent about the things that matter to God, and not just on this issue, but on all the things that matter to God. So search deep within your own heart and soul and see if this emboldens you to be more vocal about where we are headed as people and a society and a world because it is not a good place. And again, may we be bold enough to speak God's truth in love, but unashamedly, lovingly, boldly, lovingly, truthfully, lovingly. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.